This morning we're going to continue looking today at 1 Peter. We've been going through the, the book of 1 Peter, or the letter of 1 Peter, I should say. Uh, the words of Peter writing to the church living in exile. Exile, exile meaning that they are no longer in a place that is their home. They've been forced out by persecution. They've been forced out by uh, other circumstances, economic circumstances. And now they are living in a strange world, the Roman world. The Roman world that is uh, not very welcoming to Christians. A Roman world that has made it known that they will persecute Christians. A Roman world that has just blatantly killed Christians in the Colosseum and made it the centerpiece of all their entertainment. And so now these Christians know they are not of this world. And so Peter's trying to write to them and encourage them. Don't you need some encouragement at times? Don't we all need some encouragement? Just, you know, there's sometimes we go through things in the week and we just need a little message of encouragement. And that's what Peter is doing to the church there. He's trying to remind them of the foundational pieces of their faith, of who they are serving and why they are together and really trying to get them back to the heart of who they are as the church. And, you know, sometimes when you're going through a hard time, you can forget those things, right? Sometimes when you're going through difficulties, it's easy to just kind of, all those things just sink into the back of your mind and the problem becomes bigger. And what Peter is trying to do is show them that what they are living in is temporary. They are not of this world. Their home is eternal. And so he encourages them that even though they are living as exiles in the Roman world, as we talked last week, they had a living hope. And their hope is that one day they are going to be in an eternal heaven, an eternal place, being with the Lord forever. This life is just a moment, but eternity is forever. And so he begins to encourage them today about another foundational piece of the faith, which we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have fasted, or, or tasted that the Lord is good, rather, Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race. This is one of the probably the most uh, familiar verses in First Peter that people often quote. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. This morning we're going to talk about, not of this world, the living stone. The living stone. You know, it's kind of interesting when you think about a stone. The first thing that strikes me about Peter's writing here is when he talks about a living stone is uh, I've watched this brick for the last 10 minutes and I haven't seen it breathe. I haven't seen it get up and walk. I haven't even seen it grow. I haven't seen it say, give me some milk. It, it hasn't done anything. It's just stayed there. And so you have to wonder, what is Peter talking about? A living stone. And why would Peter even use that image that a stone is alive it's growing you know maybe some moss might get on the stone and grow but the stone itself is not growing it's not it's not getting up and saying you know get me a cup of coffee in the morning it's not walking around to its job every day but what Peter is trying to give them an image of is a stone that is alive and he's giving them a metaphor of a living stone and he tells them like newborn infants Long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, hold that verse in your thought for a minute and let me come back to another verse. If you remember, we're talking about Peter and Peter writes from experience. Peter writes from the things that he experienced while following Jesus. And it is evident multiple times he references things that Jesus said to him directly. He references moments and encounters that he had with Jesus while he was on the earth. And one of those is this word right here. Where Peter, where Jesus stood up to the disciples and he looked at them and he said, who do men say that I am? Famous question Jesus asked. And Jesus, uh, Peter's response uh, was, you are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. I'm paraphrasing basically what the Messiah means, the promise, the one that we've been anticipating. You are him. Now for Peter to realize this, was it a miraculous thing, really? It was Peter's eyes had been opened to see that what Peter had just exclaimed had been in the making for thousands of years and now standing before them is the Messiah, the precious Messiah that they've all been waiting for. And so Jesus says to Peter these words that are so important that tie into his writing here today. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the truth of what Peter had just realized, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. And so when Peter, Jesus looks at Peter, he's saying, upon the foundation that I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, sent upon this is where my church is going to be built. Therefore, he called it a rock because that is the image Jesus wants us to see, that his church is built upon the precious stone, Jesus. The foundation of all that we do in the church, that we should do in the church, is built upon Jesus. All that we are as believers is built upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And if it's built on anything else, that's a shaky foundation that's soon to fall. That's a foundation that won't last into eternity. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. That's a foundation that you and I, we're going to have to repent for one day. But Jesus calls us that his church is going to be built upon a foundation, not a stone like this. This stone will pass away. This stone will crumble. 
We could throw this stone up against something, a hard surface, and it would break a million times. But Jesus persecuted, suffered for us, but still is the living stone for you and I. And so he tells them, he tells them how to be a living stone. He says to them that Jesus is the living stone. And then he looks at them and he says, you like living stones. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting thought here today, is that you and I all here today, as believers in Jesus Christ, are like stones, living stones. And as stones, we have a purpose, right? A stone is not just meant there to lay there. It's meant for a purpose, and that's what Peter's working to. And so he tells them, as like infants who long for the spiritual milk, grow into salvation, this is where the idea of a living stone comes into play. Is because Jesus or Peter is trying to remind them that even though you are a stone and even though we are going to be built up together, it is a stone, figuratively speaking, that should grow. We grow into salvation. We don't get it all right when we come to faith. It takes years of growth and even up to the point of death or till the Lord comes, we are still growing. We ought to be growing in the Lord. And so he compares it like a newborn infant who longs for the pure spiritual milk. You know, my six-month-old daughter, we have a nickname for her, and it's called Milk Monster because that girl loves to eat. That is just all she wants all the time, loves to eat, 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 eat. And it is such a beautiful picture to me when I read this scripture. She longs for the milk, and like a child, like a newborn infant, you and I as believers are intended to long for what he calls spiritual milk so that we may grow. Our lives as believers are not intended to come to the Lord and that's it. We are all here intended to grow, to be a people who are alive and, and life is a part of who we are. And so Peter addresses them first by listing some vices that are in the churches. If you read through the other letters of the New Testament, he tells them, get rid of malice. This was a thing that was happening in the New Testament churches. Guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. And he is giving them a picture of how they are supposed to look. Put away those things and instead grow into salvation. And he tells them, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, it's an amazing thought that Peter's telling them is he's telling them that if you'll just learn to put away all of those things, envy, malice, all the things that are the problems in the churches today and in the New Testament times, if you'll learn to put away those things and you can taste that the Lord is good, you will taste that there is nothing better, that life is way better than envy. Life is way better than malice if you could taste that the Lord is good, a spiritual house. It's a parallel that once you experience God's goodness, you don't want that anymore. Once you taste that God is wonderful, you don't want to be a part of those things anymore. And so he tells them a phrase, a living stone. What does a living thing mean? It means it is alive. You go back to the garden and there is God creating all of creation, bringing all the things into existence that were in existence. And there was Adam who brought up from the dust of the ground, and the Bible says he breathed the breath of life into him. We know, not just spiritual life, but all life comes from God. All life comes from God. God is the one who gives us the breath of life. God is the one who takes a human before they were even thought of and before they even came into existence and orders their life, orders their beings, their bodies, and all of their personality and who they are going to become. That is the work of God. Life comes from God. And may we never forget that 
earthly life and spiritual life is both a work of God. We are living stones as believers. And so he takes them back to the image of Christ the cornerstone. Christ the cornerstone. We sing a song sometimes. I think it's along those lines. Christ the cornerstone. What does that mean? Christ the cornerstone. What Peter is doing is he quotes a verse in Isaiah. And he tells them, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And Peter kind of shrunk down that verse in Isaiah. But Peter tells them, that, or Isaiah says that it is a tested stone. I like how I found the stone and it just happens to have some uh, like pieces missing from it. It's a tested stone. Isaiah says it's a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, and a sure foundation. And one who trusts in it, if you go back and read it, will not panic. What a word for us today. That in all the things that you and I could stand on and be our foundation today, that if Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives and of us as a church, then we have the, the reassurance today that we don't have to panic. We don't have to worry. And you see what Peter's doing because Peter, this church is worried. There they are in the Roman world. They're worried. They're worried about Caesar. They're worried about shifting government uh, control and all the things that are happening in the world. And they're worried what is going to happen to the church. And what Peter is trying to remind them today is that you are like living stones established on the living stone. And that stone has been tested by time. Not just by time, but all of eternity. And it has come out to be proven to be faithful. And it is a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And one who trusts in it will not panic. In other words, what Peter is saying is this. He tells them in the verses before this that the word of the Lord endures forever. Is that Caesar will come and go. Nero will come and go. Presidents, emperors, kings, and queens will come and go. But there is a cornerstone that will last forever. And it is Jesus Christ, the precious cornerstone. And it's the, it's the encouragement to us today that if Jesus is the cornerstone... That you and I have the hope that our lives and the life of the church should be built on nothing else other than Jesus. If it is tested, if Jesus has been tested, and if he is truly precious, and if it is a sure foundation, then you and I should put away all the other things that we have built our lives upon and go back to the place where we say, Jesus is the foundation and establishment of my life. Nothing more. And so what Peter begins to do is he paints them a picture of the church. He paints them a picture of the church and the idea of the kingdom and the temple. And he talks about a priesthood, and this is where it really taken me a while to get to, but hang in there with me. He talks about uh, the, the temple. And he talks about in Zion, there's a stone. And if you can go back and you can look at those Old Testament scriptures, how all of the, these people came together to build a temple. They were coming, bringing things from Egypt, bringing things from all over the world to establish this precious centerpiece in Israel, which was the temple. And the temple was supposed to be an image of what was a heavenly reality. It was a picture of a heavenly experience that God was glory would dwell in that place. And it would be the establishment, the centerpiece of all life in Israeli life. And it likewise was supposed to be. But that temple was constructed by earthly hands. And that temple only lasted for a while. But now God tells us that the Bible shows us that you and I now are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he brings them back to the picture of 
Come to him. Such strong words. A living stone. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious and God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. You know, Peter in his, uh, his Greek was a, a very different compared to some of the other writings. And he has a way of just going run on one after run on. And what Peter is doing here is he makes a connection. Come to him, comma, 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 some other things in there, and let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. What's, what's Peter saying? What's he talking about? Who's building the church? Who builds the kingdom? There's kind of this idea today in American Christianity especially that people build the church. That you and I, if we have the right strategy and the right plan in place, that we can build the church. That so-and-so is a pastor of a certain church and they're supposed to build the church. But Peter's thought here contradicts that. And Jesus' teaching about the kingdom even teaches us that. That you and I are not called to build the church and build the kingdom. There is only one person who is qualified to build the church and to build the kingdom. And that is God Almighty. Come to Him and let yourselves be built. It's not any of us that are laying our hands and building stones upon the church, figuratively speaking, in a spiritual sense. It is us surrendering ourselves to the Lord. And as we surrender ourselves to the Lord, then God so establishes us to be built where we ought to be built in the body of Christ. You and I have been invited to be a part of it. All of us here together, we are not just building up All Nations Church. We're not putting our hands to this. God is doing it, and it's in connection to the greater body of Christ. This church is not the church. This is just a part of the larger capital C church. And listen to this, what Peter does to them is he says, like living stones. Listen, one stone does not constitute a house. This isn't a house, and nobody's going to live under this thing. Maybe a snail, maybe a worm, but ain't no human going to live under this thing. He tells them, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. As living stones, this is a perfect picture, if there was ever a picture of what the churches ought to be, is that a stone cannot be a house by itself. A stone cannot exist and be a place of worship by itself. A stone is intended to be built with other stones so that it establishes a house. And this is the call to Peter, once again, like living stones. Don't put away your gathering. Don't separate yourselves, but let yourselves come together and be built into a spiritual house. More than ever before, this is why we need community. We need to be a part of a church. Because of this picture right here, because God is the one who is building us and placing us where we need to be. Listen, God is not going to stand before us when we get into heaven and say, I see that you attended church on a regular basis. God isn't going to stand before us and see you have great attendance. What the Lord is going to look for is his bride. And what that means is that you and I have let ourselves be submitted to him to be built up into a spiritual house, into the bride of Christ. And when we stand before the Lord, it's not going to be, I see that individual over there. They had great attendance. No, it's going to be, I let myself be a part of the greater church to be built up into Jesus' church, his body. If this is the body of Christ... And God is, 1 Corinthians 13 or 12 teaches us, and if God has arranged the members accordingly, then that must mean that God is the one who is doing the building. 
then that must mean that God is the one who is saying, so-and-so goes here, you do this work, so-and-so, you do this work over here. And it shows us once again the importance of all of us working together in the body of Christ, that no one is greater than another and no one is lesser than another. We all have a spiritual importance. If we're going to be a house, every stone is important. And when you start taking out stones, watch what happens to that house. It will soon fall and crumble. Every building, every stone is important in the body of Christ. There is this notion in today's Christianity that we are building the church. But listen here today. What man builds is temporary, but what God builds is eternal. And when you and I start putting our hands and building things, it's going to be like the Tower of Babel, and it's going to come crumbling down. And it's going to be a work that results. If you go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, or, or Genesis, or, or somewhere in there, I forgot the number, the, the image of the Tower of Babel, then you'll see that what happened was nothing but pride. And so therefore, God scattered them all over the earth. What man builds is temporary, but what God builds is eternal. This is why the psalmist could say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Jesus told Peter, I will build. Paul spoke through the, to the church in Corinthians and says, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you gifts for the building up of the church. If there was ever a picture of that, it is certainly in those scriptures here that the master contractor of this great construction project called the church that has spanned, it is the longest ongoing construction project in the history of the world called the Church of Jesus Christ. It is the Trinity working together to build the church. And it is going to result in an ultimate culmination, which Peter is trying to point them to. When you and I stand before the judgment, when Jesus comes back and we are with the Lord eternally forever, that is going to be the church. That is going to be the constructed building. This is not the church. This, this roof is going to fall away someday. These bricks are going to go away someday. But the church of Jesus Christ, it is eternal. When Jesus sat down at the table, at the banquet table, and he says there's a great banquet, you know who was sitting at the table? The church, not this building. The people, the people that were worshiping at the throne of God. Come to him and let yourselves be built. It is an admonishment to all of us here today that you and I, as living stones, we each have a responsibility to come to Jesus. Give ourselves, Lord, why have you placed me in this church? Why have you placed me in this body? I want to be built up a part of the body of Christ. So I surrender myself. I give myself to you. I give my all to you. I give my gifts, talents, and treasures. We went through next steps a few weeks ago with all of our new members, and that's, that's the thing we talked about, is that as believers, we absolutely surrender everything we have to Jesus to be built up into a spiritual house. And so Peter goes on to say, why are we built into a spiritual house? Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Watch this. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why are you and I built into a spiritual house? To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. And you might say to me, Charlie, I thought the priesthood, that was Old Testament thinking. But Peter establishes a thought here. And he goes on and later emphasizes it in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. 
What does it mean to be a holy priesthood in the New Testament understanding, in modern understanding? If you go back and you look in the priesthood of the Old Testament, these priests were people who were appointed by God to offer sacrifices and lead the people in repentance to the Lord. And not only that, they were consecrated for that work. They had been set apart for that work. Their lives were solely dedicated to living and offering sacrifices to the Lord. And notice what Peter says here. He says to be a holy priesthood and to offer. We see not only their identity, but we see their action. We see not only their being, but their doing. Their role of being was living wholly committed to their Lord, and their role of doing was offering sacrifices to the Lord. Who they were as priests glorified God and praised God. And their being and their doing were not intended to be separate from each other. But this was the problem in the Old Testament was you had some priests who were not being a priesthood, but were still offering the sacrifices. And what soon happened was God's just punishment came upon the people because of their rebellion. Here were these priests who were consecrated for a sacred work, but they threw it all away. And just because they went in and offered sacrifices did no longer made them the consecrated priests. The priesthood fell because of that. And it's an important reminder as we're reading here today is that our being and our doing are not separate from each other. Who we are for Christ and what we do for Christ, they are intricately tied together. And as God builds His church, who we are, our identity, our being as people, the holy priesthood, and what we do cannot be separated from one another. My, int- my identity in Christ is intended to reflect my actions, growing into my salvation. My being is supposed to reflect that I am a part of a holy priesthood. I don't got it all together yet. I'm growing into it, but at least there's signs of growth. I am becoming who God sees that I will become. It's a transformational journey. Think about the disciples. Those disciples in the beginning, those were some of the worst people you could pick. They had all kinds of problems. But their journey of growing into salvation happened over years and years. And now you and I, we are reading the words today of somebody who once turned his back on the Lord. But as he was growing into salvation, he, was belong, he, he belonged to the Lord in order to become. He was growing into salvation. You and I as believers, we've been called to be a holy priesthood. A people that have been set apart for the Lord. A people that have been set apart for His purposes on the earth. A people that are not like the world. We're not of this world. We're not supposed to blend in and mesh with the world. That's not our identity. But we're also not supposed to cause conflict. We're supposed to be a people that as God's holy church, that we are holy priesthood. And as you and I are going before the world, as we are administering the gospel, we are taking, we are offering sacrifices to God. What our duty is, is a holy duty. It's a sacred duty that we're not just on this earth for a purpose that is meaningless. We are on a purpose as a priesthood to be a people that is chosen for God, set apart for a special purpose to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. When you think about offering spiritual sacrifices, what they did was offered unblemished, precious sacrifices. It wasn't leftovers. 
It wasn't supposed to be with a blemish. If it was, God would not accept it. It was an unblemished, precious sacrifice. And when you and I give our lives to be built up into a spiritual house, what God calls us to do is to not give our leftovers, not give an unble- a blemished sacrifice, not give a little bit here and there. God comes to call us to give the best that we have to offer. And you know what? When we give our best, God is pleased with that sacrifice. Just like he did in the Old Testament, he accepted it. And it was like a pleasing aroma to his sight. So Peter brings them to the final point, And he tells them, all of this, you are being built into a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood. You're called to offer spiritual sacrifices, honoring to the Lord. Not real sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. And he tells them this, it culminates in this, you are a chosen race, a holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Maybe this will help us even better see why God has called us to be a holy priesthood, a a holy nation, God's own people, because our lifestyle, our identity reflects the fact that we have been called out of darkness. I was once in that lifestyle, but now I'm into his marvelous light. Things are different in me. I have been changed. I have been transformed by the power of the gospel, and now I have been called into his marvelous light, and I've not only been called into it, I am proclaiming it, the mighty acts of him who did that thing all of this to teach us this morning that our purpose our identity in Christ and who we are as a church is not for a waste every gift here this morning is not for a waste every person who is in this building today is a living stone that has been intended to be built into the church of Jesus Christ it has been intended to be built all of us here today every purpose every stone is not a waste Every stone has a a specific purpose. And when one stone is lacking from that spiritual house, the house suffers. A a little draft comes through. A little hurt comes through. Whatever it might be. But when you and I are giving ourselves to be built into the living stone, a sure foundation, you and I, we have this eternal hope that it's not of this world. It's of our eternal home. And you and I are going to gather together as the future church of Jesus Christ. We're going to be gathered around the throne of God. And there before the Lord is every tribe, nation, race before God. And you and I as the church have been built up into that holy culmination, the bride of Christ. And it is the most special thing in the world. Will you stand with me today as the musicians come? I wonder how many of us today could do like the words of Peter this morning. Come to him. Here is Peter talking to this church in exile, talking in times of difficulty. Does it sound familiar? Talking in times when people are uncertain about tomorrow. Talking in times of wondering uh, what is going on. Is our, is our infrastructure failing? People are uh, without jobs. People are without futures. People are, uh, just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And on all of the uncertainty that Peter was living in and this church was living in, all he simply called them to do, come to him. Come to him. And what a reminder to you and I today that the hope that you and I have, it's beyond this world. It's a living hope. And we've been called to be a part of the living stone built into a holy church. 
which our foundation is Jesus. I love the church, but I haven't been called to build a church. I've just been called to surrender myself to it. I haven't been called to lay brick upon brick. Only God is qualified to do that. Only God is qualified to appoint people and say to this person, you pray, you preach, you sing. Only God is qualified to do that because he knows us better than any person. And when we come to him and we surrender ourselves, when the church is built together, it is the most beautiful thing operating in such a way. There's encouragement coming. There's people who are using their gifts and life is coming out of that because they're being built into a spiritual house. And this morning, I just wonder today how many of us would take the words of Peter to heart and we would just give ourselves to God and say, Lord, I want to come to you. I want to give myself to you. I want to give my gifts, my time, my talents, my treasures to you to be built into a spiritual house. Not my own doing, not of any church's doing, not of any pastor's or leader's doing, of your doing. And let ourselves be built, growing into salvation. And this morning as I pray, and that's you today, and you just want to come as an act of surrender today, can we just come forward today? Just come stand here at the front this morning. Just give ourselves to the Lord. Maybe we haven't asked ourselves lately what I have to offer that God can use for his glory. But listen, God did not create you without a purpose. God destined you with purpose, filled you with identity and life so that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, we come humbly before your throne today. And Lord, we thank you, Father, today that you've called us as the church of Jesus Christ to be built up into a spiritual house, Lord. We thank you, Lord, today, God, that you have helped us, Father. You've appointed us all, Lord. You've arranged the members accordingly that we might be established and be built into the holy house of God. Lord, no person here has been called to build the church. You are the builder. We haven't been called to build the kingdom. We've only been called to proclaim it. We haven't been called to build the church, only to proclaim it. And so God, this morning, may you help us to come to you, Jesus, to give ourselves to you, to surrender all that we have and are to your glory and to your honor, Father. It's not of this world, Lord. The church of Jesus Christ is not of this world. What man builds with their hands, Lord, we know is temporary, but God, what you build is eternal. So, Lord, we pray today, let us be built, Father. Build us, help us to grow, Lord. Use us, give us our daily bread. Feed us the milk that we need, Lord, that we might grow into that spiritual house, Lord. God, we don't want to be a church that, is, that ignores your purposes, Lord. We don't want to be a church that does our own thing. We want to be a church that is established upon Jesus Christ, the foundation, Lord. And God, may we never veer from that, Lord. May we never depart from that. But God, may that be the centerpiece of all that we say and do here as a church, Lord. Help us today. Be built upon you. And so, Lord, we praise you today. We give ourselves to you this morning in Jesus' name. As the choir sings, you want to come to the front, feel free to come. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. We've been built into a spiritual house today.